This is Startup Stories from the Startup Nation. My name is Yigal Marcus. Thank you for joining us. In this podcast, we'll meet the entrepreneurs who have personified the economic miracle known as the Startup Nation, the State of Israel. We'll learn about the culture which helped incubate them and their ideas. We'll learn of their successes and, of course, their failures. And we'll explore why it is that Israel develops some of the leading innovators of our time. Mobile devices are critical tools in conducting company business, but they also pose a grave threat to company business if they're hacked into. Today's guest, Michael Shaulove, founded a company called Lacoon Mobile Security to help prevent the hacking of mobile devices. Now here's a stat that's gonna shock you. Companies with over 500 mobile devices experience attacks nearly 100% of the time they're always getting attacked. And with 25% of apps having at least one major security flaw, the threat to company business is real. This year alone, $96.3 billion will be spent in cybersecurity. And so for companies like Lacoon, the opportunity to build a successful business in mobile cybersecurity is huge. With me is Michael Shaulove. Michael is the former CEO and co-founder of Lacoon Mobile Security, which he eventually sold to Checkpoint Software for $100 million. A little bit of a background about Michael. Uh, Michael received a BS in computer science and physics from Ben-Gurion University, and he was then a, uh, a software team leader in the Israel Defense Forces in a uh, unit called Unit 8200, which is the elite intelligence unit. And he was there from 2001 into 2005. While there, he actually received an award from the president of, uh, of Israel called the Israel President's Presidential Excellency Honor in 2004 for his work in the intelligence unit. And uh, after that, after his service and, uh, and uh, university, uh, he worked at a company called Video Cells until 2008. And then he worked at a big company called Nice Systems until 2011. And that's really when his entrepreneurial career started. So uh, first of all, Michael, thank you very much for joining us today. I know that you're a little bit under the weather, so our editors are going to have fun with uh, editing out the sniffling. But, um, but thank you for schlepping up here and, and, and talking to us. Tell right. me a little bit about your background growing up. Where, where did you grow up? Sure. Uh, so uh, actually, then I, I was born actually in uh, Ukraine. Actually, it was the uh, USSR. And, really? Uh, yeah. In what year? Uh, in uh, 82. 82, oh, yeah. so you grew up in yeah, the... Uh, uh, under the Soviet regime. Wow, <laughs> wow. Uh, for a couple of years, then we moved to, to Israel. I uh, moved to Israel with my mom when I was uh, six years old, in uh, 89, actually wow. even before, uh, before it collapsed. And uh, then I grew up uh, in Haifa, in, in Israel, in the north of Israel. Um, that's, that's pretty much like uh, my... Uh, you know, my childhood. Exciting childhood. Yeah. <laughs> what is, so you, you actually grew up in the Ukraine uh, under Soviet uh, rule. Do you remember it? Not that much. Not I mean, much. I, yeah, I was like, uh, we moved out when I was six. Getting out in those days before the collapse of the Iron Curtain was, I imagine, very difficult. So. Yeah, I just remember it was cold. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's what I remember. It still is. Some, yeah, it is. some, some yeah. things haven't changed. Um, so you grew up there and then fell in love with computers. Yeah, so, so actually my uh, step, stepfather is a computer engineer, and he taught me how to program when I was six years old, seven years old, actually. It was, I mean, immediately after we moved to, to Israel, and Wait I was... 
you learned how to program when you were seven years old? Yeah, that's true. Now, I, I have a son who's seven years old, and I can't imagine him learning how to program. He's barely putting together, you know, words and, and, and reading languages. Um, you, you can actually teach people, or you can actually teach kids how to program at a very young age. And they, it was like very simple things, right? I mean, initially, I remember he taught me how to program, sort of like, you know, to break down uh, the process of creating an omelet. That was my uh, first uh, programming assignment. So <laughs> break down that, I still remember it. Uh, and then he basically taught me basic and I was sort of programming very simple games. Uh, I was really enjoying it when I was a kid. He was spending a lot of hours with me doing that. And um, sort of through the years, I, I, uh, I became mostly like, you know, in love in uh, things around uh, design and web. Uh, that was sort of like, you know, my first love in the in the sort of uh, mid uh, to late 90s. Uh, I was working, uh, I was actually creating quite a few websites. Frankly, this is like, wow. you know, where- In those days, it was actually hard to make websites. You yeah. Just, you know, well, well, it depends. Uh, frankly, now it's even harder to create websites because now people have high expectations <laughs> of how a website should look like. But back in the days, people didn't have much expectations. Frankly, this is where my entrepreneurial uh, career started. One of the funniest projects that we, funniest, uh, frankly, quite successful project that we started, me and uh, three other friends of mine, uh, was uh, a website that was basically selling nargilas abroad, like hookahs from Israel, so we basically put like an online website when we were, I don't know, 16 <laughs> or 17 years old. And, uh, that must have been a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and we were actually, we were driving to the, um, to the market in Haifa, buying, like, you know, basically buying those Dorgilas and fulfilling orders and sending <laughs> them to Germany and the United States. Did you always, you know, think of yourself as an entrepreneur or, you know, were you more of a corporate person? Like growing up, was it your aspiration to, to start a business and to, uh, and to hopefully succeed that way. So, so apparently there is some paper that I wrote that I want to be a CEO one day. I don't know why I wrote it, but I was okay. I don't know, like 12 or something like that. Uh, There's a, a big difference between being a CEO and being a founder. That's true. Yeah. Um, I think that at the end of the day, my my love is basically to build things. Uh, more, more like, you know, it, it comes more from the engineering sort of uh, engineering background. And, um, and I think that's sort of a, what leads me to entrepreneurship because I I don't really. It's it's sort of like you know easier to have uh, to wake up one day with an idea and then start building it rather than to be in a corporate wake up with an idea and then convincing other people that you need to build it. Right. right That's right. sort of like the main difference. You right. don't, you don't need to get any authorization to do it yourself. <laughs> this <laughs> right. is true. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, how did the business uh, that Hukas business uh, go? Make money? Yeah, initially, and then like, and then we got shut down because we were uh, not only that we were selling their, like those hookahs, we were also selling tobacco, and apparently it's illegal to sell tobacco. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we. Uh, <laughs> It's all in our past, so yeah. you don't have to worry about this being on tape. Yeah, <laughs> it was in the 90s, you know. Yeah, it was in the yeah. 90s. That, everything yeah. went in the 90s. Uh, I was going to say before that, that you know, it, today you, got, you have Code Academy, right? You have kids. You can basically log in and be taught how to, how to, how to program. You didn't have that back then. True, yeah. But you had, you had books. You had the web. I mean, you already had uh, resources that you could learn from. Uh, that's actually like, you know, why I sort of started with security because the, a lot of resources were available around the, I would say, um, hacking and uh, information security. And that was sort of like, you know, my second love. I really enjoyed uh, uh, learning about it when, you know, when I was, I guess, like, you know, 16 or 17 years old. When you were in high school? Yeah, when I was in high school. And that basically what, what brought me to the 
point where I could actually get enlisted to that uh, to the unit that I served in in the army. So w- when when you were in in high school and you know one, one of the options that that uh, young soldiers um, you know when they get drafted have is you know do you or can you you know go to university first get educated and then commit to the army or do you do the army first and then do university yeah so what, what was your choice what did you end up doing so th- so the funny story is that i actually got like my i, I got accepted to be a pilot okay i got accepted I, I went through all the stages and i was supposed to enlist as a to the pilot course now my my mom actually hated the idea so when we finished like a, <laughs> there is like a six days boot camp in the desert right. where the where you're being tested and at the end of the boot camp when they uh, uh, told me that i got accepted i called my mom and everybody were basically calling their moms and my mom and everybody were like super happy because it's very prestigious in israel and my mom told me i'm very sorry to hear that <laughs> and then she basically convinced me to drop it and to go to the so you, you know you have a little bit of a double whammy you have a jewish mom and then you have a ukrainian jewish mom which you know they <laughs> they yeah. rule the roost <laughs> that's true yeah that's great yeah. so you actually dropped going into the air force which is arguably the most desired you know aspiration you know goal for for young soldiers and instead for, for young men in general <laughs> that's yeah. true and then instead you did what and instead, I, I, I enlisted uh, into this intelligence unit. Actually, back in the days, uh, A200 was not a brand. No one even knew. Uh, it was uh, still classified. The number was not out there. Um, I actually didn't know what I'm going into, uh, but I only knew that I'm going to work with computers. And, okay. um, and yeah, that was like my second option, I guess. Right. Yeah. And that was before or after university? That's before the university. So you actually did your army service before yeah. So, okay. so for f- as you said, like there are basically two options. One, you you can go to the university, you study, and then to serve six years in the army, or you can go first to do the army, and then do and then if you want, you can do the university after the army. Got it. And that's what you did. Yeah. Yeah. How integral, how important, or impactful was your military service to your career? I, I think it's fundamental. I mean, at yeah. the end of the day, uh, what I've learned there, mm-hmm. uh, both professionally. But as you said, more more on the like professional character character side, yeah. right? Like what what you're able to do, how you're doing it, um, what are the values uh, that you seek when you engage in you know professional activities? All that was basically things that I absorbed uh, during my uh, my military service. And so, looking back on it, it was a great a great service. I mean, it was. It, it was first of all it was fascinating and uh, the things that we were doing over there i don't think i had uh, like even like with the startups and the, and the successful startups that uh, i was part of and uh, nothing was as a uh, thrill as uh, what we've did what we were doing back back in the days in the in the unit that was absolutely like mind blowing and your mom approved yeah yeah <laughs> my mom approved <laughs> and the uh, and the uh, yeah, and, and and fundamentally, I think like you know, this is the point in time where where I was essentially thought uh, to appreciate that everything that you can sort of imagine, you can build. Okay, this is sort of the mantra in that in that you in the various unit, but specifically in in the unit that I served, is that they basically take uh, eighteen years old, uh, you know kids that they frankly like you know most of them haven't done anything significant in their life and then they give them a challenge that that um 
you would probably give this to ch this challenge to people who are slightly more mature and they would say no chance like this is uh, this is impossible right you can, we cannot build something like that but because those because those kids they don't have any sort of uh, experience and because they don't have any i would say um uh, like failing experience they would just go and do it you know, right. that's that, that, that bas that's basically what happens there so you did your service um any 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 uh I'm trying to think back in terms of the timing of your service. Were there any any you didn't go to war? Or yeah, was that was like the first, the second intifada. That was second intifada. The, the second that was the, the, actually I was uh, I started my course in in uh, 9/11. That was wow. when we were driving in the bus. We just saw like you know the buildings go go down. So uh, it was the second intifada. It was the like Iranian nuclear race. It was uh, the global uh, uh, jihad. So all, all the yeah unpleasant and yet you know from an intelligence standpoint. And the U.S. Stuff. was at war with Iraq. Yeah, and the U.S. was in war with Iraq. Wow. Uh, in Afghanistan, actually, not with Iraq. That very Afghanistan. Yeah. Tell me, you know, you mentioned before before we went to recording about about uh, another startup that you conceived of before Lacoon, which was, of course, a very big success. Tell me a little about that. So uh, between NICE uh, and Lacoon, we actually had a, another startup called the uh, Blue Ridge Storage System. Um, we were basically cre creating um, a storage solution for, uh, for enterprise customers. Um, it was an interesting idea. We raised funding from the Israeli chief scientist, about $600,000. And just just for, for for the listeners, what's also very unique about um, about Israel is that they have an office in the government called the, the Israeli Chief Scientist, and what they do is they will actually invest uh, in young Israeli startups. Um, it's not a pure equity investment. It's it's more like a a grant that has to get repaid later on. So tell me about well, that. Yeah, it depends. It depends on the structure. Specifically, the one that uh, we, specifically the program that we were part of. It uh, it had an equity component and a royalties component. Uh, they have various programs, but generally speaking, what they're seeking to invest in is things that are very uh, high risk. Okay. Um, something that usually projects that uh, this traditional VCs will not be very keen on investing. And uh, also they're willing to take risk on the teams. Wow. And and um, and that process of getting the money, I imagine, is very competitive. Yeah, it wasn't a simple process, uh, mostly around a lot of documentation and uh, bureaucracy and meetings with them. Yeah. Uh, but um, at the end of the day, we got the money. Okay. Uh, we started working on the idea. And uh, they, this is sort of like, you know, the interesting part and probably what uh, I think like, you know, made me more successful uh, after that experience is that we started to engage with, with customers, right? We started to go to customers even before the program was ready. What was the idea, by the way? The idea was, uh, it's, it's actually like, you know, quite a, a straightforward idea. Back in the days, you had a lot of desktop computers in, in the organizations. Right? I remember those days. Yeah, there was a, <laughs> people, people even had like- Back laptops. in our youth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and um, the, hard the hard drives of uh, those computers were very large compared to what people were actually using because most of the people were just using word processing and they had a couple of documents. So effectively, you had this like huge unutilized storage capacity across all those desktops that were just sitting and buzzing uh, within enterprise, sometimes like, you know, hundreds uh, or thousands, you know, in really big enterprises. So our idea was basically just to collect all those uh, um, 
all, all this storage, all, all this unutilized storage that is scattered across all those desktops and create sort of like an internal cloud uh, where you can uh, save your backups or you can basically use it as a storage, but behind that, it's basically scattering it across uh, all of those hard drives that are in those uh, desktop computers. And this is really way before cloud storage, cloud computing. This was, I mean, w were you early or in well, retrospect, was there no market for it? No, so, so that's actually, you, you're, you're right to the you're right at the point of asking about cloud. Um, so the reason why there was no market is because cloud was basically picking up. And when we started to, to ask customers, hey, you know, like this is what we're building. Uh, are you interested? Uh, does it solve a problem for you? They were all, no, we are moving to Amazon. We are moving to, to the cloud. Uh, storage is free, or not free, but storage is inexpensive and scalability of the storage is less of an issue for us. So frankly, we don't think that this product will, will, will be uh, as a use for us. And this is, I think, uh, this is basically, after, after getting this feedback from probably like you know, a dozen of customers, we understood that uh, there is no real market for what we are doing. Okay. Potentially we could have pivoted, but uh, that was already at a stage where, we, where I came up with the idea for Lacoon. So before we get to Lacoon, you, you decided not to pivot. You actually decided to give the money back. Why? Yeah. Um, we decided to give the money back because the chief, the Israeli chief scientist program is uh, somewhat restrictive in terms of how you can pivot and uh, how the budget allocation works in terms of uh, the program. So you can probably like you know pivot within the same domain if you would say if we would basically would say, well, you know, we want to move it to the cloud or something like that, they would probably let us do that. But just to take one company that is doing storage and then suddenly say, well, we're not doing storage anymore, we're doing cybersecurity for mobile devices, <laughs> that's probably not something that they will be uh, thrilled to hear. Yeah? <laughs> and uh, that's one aspect. And the second aspect was actually more around the funding that was required to build the Lacoon. We understood that those $600,000 will not be sufficient by any means. Uh, we need uh, to engage with um, other funding sources rather, rather than the chief scientists. Got it, got it. And and so you you shut it down, and um, you know we, get, we I, gave the money back. Gave the money back. Yeah, right. I, you know, I, I was once given advice um, as when I was an entrepreneur, uh, which I guess we're all entrepreneurs to a certain extent. But um, I was once given the advice, and I'm curious to to see if you would agree with it. Fail quickly. That if you have an idea, you know you could push an idea forward and work on it for 10 years and not quite get the momentum but keep working at it or you test the idea it fails move on yeah uh, I I more than agree with that that's actually the philosophy that uh, I believe in uh, when building uh, new businesses I even um, like sort of in checkpoint I actually created sort of an internal uh, lecture that I was giving to people about ideas uh, it's actually became a methodology called uh, customer development um, market development where, where essentially you, you do like very quick iterations on ideas and you engage with the market as early as possible to test if uh, that, that is going to hold or fly and um, you're really trying to force it to fail quickly yeah Lacoon how'd you yeah. think of the idea let's start with that um, so Actually, the, the idea behind Lacoon is sort of uh, what I, it's, it's the flip side of what I was doing most of the, my career before Lacoon. So my specialty was around um, um, cybersecurity, but um, basically 
extracting intelligence from mobile devices okay right, for for law enforcement uh, agencies so that's to an extent what I did uh, in uh, in my professional life uh, since I've sort of enlisted to the army and then uh, uh, specifically in nice I was a team leader of uh, technology team that uh, in their uh, they call it like law enforcement division or nice track and we were creating those solutions for uh, law enforcement agencies or intelligence agencies that they can uh, track terrorists uh, or you know criminals through mobile devices now what happened in um, let's say 2010 2011 was basically two two phenomena one was that uh, people uh, started to buy smartphones and use them to connect to the business so that, that basically like you know the the iPhone and uh, the Android devices started to pick up and people were uh, loading them with email clients coming to the IT department telling them, hey, you know, I want to get emails on my mobile device. That's yeah, Just ask Hillary Clinton. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> she did like the wrong way. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, uh, it was sort of like, you know, the, the days of the BlackBerry were uh, were over, right? In the this story in 2011. Yeah, I mean, you could already see it back wow. then, right? You could, you could see that... Because uh, yeah. they were known for security, right? BlackBerry was, was famous for yeah. having a very secure... The presidents were only allowed to be on a BlackBerry and, you know, under, I imagine, lots of levels of security, but... Yeah, BlackBerry was famous for security. Uh, that's what also, like, you know, why they failed, because... Uh, I guess like I, the Apple and also Google were famous for just giving you the user experience that you want, right? right. <laughs> uh, the security part, uh, although they've improved through the years with their security. And um, so there is like w there was one uh, uh, one aspect which was hey like you know people connecting with their smartphones to the IT environment, and the other aspect was that because I was uh, highly familiar with the offensive side of the game. Uh, I already knew that there are enough capabilities out there to basically compromise those devices. So there were a lot of different, uh, I would say, like, you know, both vendors and cyber criminals that were selling exploits and uh, root exploits and malware to infiltrate those devices and extract information, you know, from, you know, fraud to corporate intelligence to personal, intel to personal uh, espionage. Um, and my my idea was that uh, the combination of those two phenomena will actually create sort of a need for a solution to protect those devices from the bad guys, um, and that uh, enterprises would like to protect the devices of the employees in a very similar way that they're protecting the laptops or their internal network, because now all the corporate information is outside on the mobile devices, what we essentially call, back in the days we call it bring your own device. Right. Who are the customers that you anticipated getting? Is it direct to consumer or is it businesses? So we went after the businesses. Okay. Um, the distribution makes sense, right? Yeah, that the distribution made sense. I think that uh, going after that market uh, was the right choice. Uh, not necessarily we we had like you know the reasons were uh, the the reasons were right, but uh, the choice was 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 right. Got it. During uh, during Blue Ridge, you you raised the money, and only afterwards learned from your cu your potential customers that there was no business there. How did you vet the idea for Lacoon before you went ahead and raised money and and and, and launched it? Yeah, so I think like you know, this is this is essentially like the methodology that uh, currently I, uh, I I pitched people right. We we build like a very simple demo and a pretty you know pretty 
extensive deck, pretty extensive presentation about what we're planning to build and uh, what's the value, etc. And we started to engage with as many customers as we want. We didn't have the product, we didn't have money, we didn't have like a timeline to build that product, but we just started to go customer by customer. As, as, uh, I think like at the end of the day, we had about like you know, 15 customers or 20 customers that we were able to speak with, uh, mostly chief security officers or IT professionals and ask them, um, hey, you know, do you think that this is a problem? Do you think this is a solution that you need? Uh, would you pay for that solution? So we had already some level of market validation. That was, that was like, you know, one thing that we've done. Another thing that we've done was actually an experiment that we ran in one of the mobile carriers in Israel that they sort of, I don't know why, but they gave us some access to the mobile carrier network and we were able to run a test and to actually prove that there was some percentage of mobile devices that were already infected. So we had both customers that were saying, yeah, that's at least, at the very least, interesting, and we had a proof that this is already a problem. Got it. So you had the data to, to, yeah. to show that that you were trying to solve, a, you know, potentially a very big problem. Early on, you know, humility is a very important uh, part of being an entrepreneur. People succeed and, and fail. But a big part of humility is knowing that you can't necessarily build a business alone. And I know that you brought in a couple of partners um, in Lacoon co-founders. Tell me about about the, the the process of, you know, the three of you coming together. So my CTO, CTO in Lacoon, uh, Ohad, uh, was a friend of mine actually from the army. We were in the same section in the army, so we knew each other for a very long time. And then when I was in NICE, uh, we were uh, uh, both team leaders over there in the same, uh, in the same group. So we, we've worked already for uh, quite a while. And the reason why, uh, and then he was actually the guy that moved with me to build Blue Ridge, and uh, he was my sort of VPR in the in Blue Ridge as well. Now the reason I always uh, uh, people were always asking me why are you the CEO and why Ohad is the VPR. And that was my next question. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because because essentially we ha we both had the same background back right. in the days. We w we were both engineers. And my answer was that just Ohad is a much better VPR and than, than myself, right? He that goes back to, I guess, uh, the point that if if you know that someone is better for, than you in something, just give them the job, right? You know, it's a humility. Yeah. I mean, it really requires you to say, you know what, who's the best person for the job? Yeah. So uh, he's an exceptional uh, VPR and and CTO, and uh, I had, uh, you know, I was, I was confident that you know that. Uh, uh, he will be able to build the right technology and uh, make the product very um, stable and successful. So he was my first choice. And then we were sort of looking for a business partner. Partner. Now, our initial idea was that uh, we, were, we are going to sell not directly to enterprises, but we will our channel will actually be the mobile carriers, right? We will sell to the mobile. Interesting. We will install it in the mobile carrier, and the mobile carrier will, will uh, sell it to, to the enterprises, which turned out to be a complete failure, by the way, a complete disaster. But that's like All a, right. <laughs> another story. You like failures? We'll get yeah, to that in a yeah, minute. That's like the next failure we can talk about. But... Um, so we thought that we need someone that actually understand, understands uh, carriers, and we brought Emmanuel, uh, who was our sort of CFO. He, he just stepped down from being the chief financial officer of uh, Orange, that was at the days were, was one of the biggest uh, Israeli uh, telcos or carriers, sure. and he joined us. So your original idea, I'm going to get to the, the failure that you mentioned, because I think failures are so important in, in learning from them and in, um, in you know, adjusting your plans, but your original idea was to distribute through the other carriers, and that didn't work out. So tell me about that. 
So, so we had, frankly, we had sort of a couple of pivots through Lacoon, which that's pr probably the part that I find the most uh, fascinating. The first idea was really to install in the carrier, and then the carrier will be able to monitor the cellular network, and they will be able to identify uh, using our technology uh, all those bad stuff, the malware and the and viruses, and they will sell it to the to the um, to the to the sort of to the enterprise to their enterprise customers. Um, and we spoke with, you know, AT&T and all the carriers in Israel and carriers in uh, Europe. And they were all sort of like, you know, interested, but they are so slow moving that actually nothing happened, right? So a, a year into the venture, after we were basically burning all this cash, we understood that if we are not going to find a different distribution and we are not going to pivot the product, we're going to basically crash. Um, okay. So that's where we pivoted from that. So point. you actually raised capital before you went to these distributors? We already were engaged with those distributors when we were uh, raising capital. Uh, and actually our initial, in, our, in, our seed investors loved the idea, but they didn't have the, the specifically they were actually probably the top enterprise security guys in the world, but they never sold through the carrier and they thought, oh, that's like a cl clever idea, let's go and do it. Um, and uh, but 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 at the end of the day, it wasn't a successful idea. Okay, so you pivoted. Yeah, you had, you had to yeah. shut down that strategy and, and develop a different strategy. So what did you come up with? So we came up with initially we came up with a strategy to basically sell the product directly to enterprises, uh, which was a much better idea. This is basically the strategy that we continued to follow uh, through the acquisition and uh, after we got acquired, and um, but the product was actually not the right product to do it. Uh, basically. Uh, the product was set up in a way that we had to monitor the communication of the customer. Now, when the seller, when, when the seller carrier was monitoring the communication of uh, employees of the customer, it was sort of acceptable because uh, anyway, you know, the communication goes through them. Now, with the new sort of new strategy, when the seller communication was actually going through us and we were hired or basically selling our service directly to the enterprises, there was a pretty significant issue with privacy, right? So imagine that uh, you're an employee working for a big bank and suddenly the bank comes to you and say, oh, you, oh like we want to monitor your communication to make sure that like uh, for, for your from your personal iPhone, right? And to make sure that you're not infected. And um, the employees were like, well, I, I don't want you to monitor my communication at 2 a.m. in the morning because we all know what people do with their cell phone <laughs> at 2 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> so uh, that, was a that, that was a problem. Okay. How'd you overcome it? Um, so Tough luck. We're going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. no. So, so initially, yeah. Initially, we said, well, you know, that's not really a problem. We'll convince them that this is not a problem. But then we had a phone call. That said that I, I remember it, uh, and I also met the lady quite recently. We had a, um, we had a phone call with a very smart lady from JP Morgan and uh, from their IT department. And she told us, why well, are you guys crazy? Why do you think you're from, from the Mossad? You, you're going to monitor the, the communication of our employees. This is not going to fly. We're never going to buy your solution. And we were like, oh, okay, okay. She, she's, she's probably right. We need to figure out something else. And then we understood that we can do pretty much get to the same type of results with just installing an app on the phone and, bas and basically like anonymizing all that information and, and essentially removing all this uh, issue of privacy. And uh, she was sort of like instrumental. Her feedback was instrumental for our pivot because we, we, we heard it already a couple of times before that issue, but she was sort of like, you know, so blunt in telling that we were like, okay, we have to figure out how it's to very rare it. that Americans are blunt. Usually you get the blunt <laughs> bluntness from Israelis and they'll, they'll tell you the way it is, but uh, that actually turned out to be a great, a great moment for you. I mean, yeah, she, she I mean, her, her comment and uh, I guess sort of 
pivoted the ass and also to an extent also pivoted the whole space. I mean, at the end of the day, sort of all the other, all of, all of our other competitors, they sort of standardized on that architecture. Wow, wow. And uh, so who's your first customer? Do you remember? So, yeah, so our first, well, it depends how you look at it. Our first customer was an Israeli customer called, uh, back in the days they, they were called Machteshim Agan, now they call that Amah, uh, okay. which is like a really big, uh, uh, like a chemical uh, um, manufacturer. Um, so that I remember like sitting in front of the Cecil and basically begging him. His, his name is uh, uh, Oshri. He's a great guy. He, I, I remember like begging him to give me the check to pay for the for the solution. <laughs> and he was like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, Oshri, come on, you know, it has value for you, you know, pay us. And wow. he was, okay, I'll pay you. Uh, so he was our, our first customer. Uh-huh. Uh, How big was that, ch- that first check? It was small. It, it wasn't small. big, yeah. It was more of the, you know, it, what it represented and, and less, yeah. it didn't have an impact on the business, but getting getting revenue, right, yeah. is, is a big deal for, I, for young companies. Yeah, fundamentally, that point in time when you get the first check, this is basically where your com- company transforms. You know, no matter like, you know, no matter, no matter how big is the check or how small is the check, this is the point where the co- co- company sort of shifts gears because now you have a customer. Now like right. someone is paying for the solution and you need to serve them. Uh, um then we then we started to scale up right we went to the uk we signed up uh, at the end of the day it was uh, three of the top law firms over there uh, wow it's called magic they call the, they have a, something called magic circle which are basically the top three the top five uh, law firms in the in the uk or in europe and then we had uh, actually one of our first customers was the biggest semiconductor manufacturer. I'm not going to tell to say their name online because there is okay. a confidentiality agreement. Not with everybody right, know right, who no they problem. are. Uh, you know, seventy. I think like we saw like fifty thousand licenses or something incredible wow. like that. Um, we had Samsung. That's sort of Publix. We had Samsung North America as a customer. We had Geico as a customer. Uh, we had you know we had it after that sort of like you know the customer. So th- at that point, you had how many employees? You were. Um, so we basically initially we had about like ten employees, and when we sold the company, we had about forty employees. Okay, and how many of those were in sales? Do you know? We had uh, the peak. We had about uh, six or seven people in sales and marketing. Got it. And they were international. I mean, you had offices in, you know, multiple, you know, multiple uh, offices around the world. Yeah, know? we we had mostly in the U.S. Uh, we had uh, a little bit in Israel and uh, one or two guys in Israel and uh, one guy in Israel, and we had one guy in the UK. That was, uh, we used the distributors a lot, so uh, was less, actually like the, the US was sales heavy. In the rest of the world, we had more uh, people, you know, using, uh, we were mostly using like distribution. Got it, and and you, so, so you had these sales offices, your sales started growing. Talk to me about, about revenue. So, you know, obviously early on you were burning, but um, how quickly did your revenue grow? So, when we sold the business, we had about uh, 2.8. Uh, okay. Yeah, and that sort of grew, I think, like, you know, from probably like 100 within a year or year and a half. So, I'm sorry, you grew from 2.8 what? We grew from like, you know, 100K or something like that. Okay. Yeah, to 2.8 million within a year or year and a half. Wow. Yeah. That was and then you sold at that point? Yeah, and then we saw we got acquired. We had a lot of deals on the table, but we sold that, and then wow. it sort of grow, grew to ten. Right after you sold it, yeah, to uh, to checkpoint. Yeah. So you actually, I mean the the 
the valuation that you got when you did sell on a company with $2.8 million of revenues and you sold for $100 million is an enormous yeah, success. The, I think it's a modest success. Let's start with that. I mean, you know, you, you, let's let's put relative to your revenue. That's my point. Well, yeah, relative to the revenue, I think I think uh, multipliers at that stage uh, they usually don't don't make much sense. I have friends who sold companies with zero revenue for five hundred million dollars. Uh, uh, but but I think that uh, at at that particular stage, uh, acquires they don't uh, they don't. They look at the revenue. I mean, the revenue is important for them to understand there is attraction for the product and that uh, it's valuable for customers and that they can sell it. Uh, mostly what they're trying to figure out is uh, how do we, like, w what is the team? Uh, what is the technology? How impactful it can be to our uh, general business? I mean, for Checkpoint, it was very important to understand what's going to be the synergy across multiple lines of business, not only the mobile one, uh, that at the end of the day, it, it did turn out to be quite a successful acquisition for them. Yeah, any idea, uh, you, let a, you let a report, what, what your unit, once you were acquired by Checkpoint, um, produced? So I, I guess like, you know, put, put the revenue numbers aside because I don't think I can talk about it. Okay. Uh, at the end of the day, we've launched uh, to an extent or repositioned about uh, three different products. Uh, we worked extensively on uh, putting a, a cloud stra strategy in place for Checkpoint, which was around uh, um, how to service their customers to secure uh, software as a service applications. Uh, we worked, uh, we had a lot of experience with cloud because our solution was cloud-based and we helped them with uh, understanding a little bit uh, the infrastructure, infra infra infrastructural pieces, like uh, how do you secure uh, AWS and et cetera. So, Beyond the the, the revenues, uh, uh, that was like you know a very important part for Checkpoint. We also helped them quite. I think we our team was quite instrumental with on their marketing side. Uh, we actually brought a lot of DNA in terms of how to turn security research into into marketing. Uh, wow! How to do thought leadership was something that we were very good at in Lacoon, and we were able to bring that. Uh, uh, back into checkpoint. Um, so at the end of the day, I think it's not like you know only like the multiplier of uh, right. Yeah, were you able to return their investment or not? <laughs> right, right yeah. of course. I want to take a, a second to talk a little bit about your funding process. So you 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 raised money early on. You mentioned from a well-known uh, entrepreneur um, in in this particular space. Uh, how much did you raise, and and what was the thought process behind choosing that money versus any other possibility? Um, so yeah, so we raised from Shlomo Kramer, who was the, I mean, he's, he's the top uh, entrepreneur. Actually, Shlomo Kramer and Mickey Boudet and Rakesh uh, were, uh, they're all th the top of the game in uh, cybersecurity. Uh, Shlomo was this, the um, co-founder of Checkpoint and then Imperva and then uh, he now has Kato and he's sort of like a serial investor in this space and Mickey had Imperva and the uh, Trustier um, and Rakesh had the uh, One Secure and then uh, and then clearly Trustier. So uh, I guess like w we were going after we, we were specifically going after uh, Shlomo. We had the we were you know we are we were looking at uh, other options from uh, other VCs in Israel, 
But the funny thing, and probably it, it's sort of hilarious to think about it uh, those days. So because it was so early for cybersecurity in Israel, it was to, like end of 2011, beginning of 2012, when we were pitching traditional VCs, they were like, yeah, it's interesting, you know, but all this security thing, we're not sure it's going to fly. I mean, <laughs> we were like one of the first cybersecurity investments uh, in that, in the in sort of like, you know, in this decade. And, um, and, and the VCs were not moving really quickly. Which is strange, because if you fast forward to today, anything in Israel with the word cybersecurity next to it, you can get funded blindfolded. I mean, they, yeah, they, 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 they the amount like of money flowing in now is, of course, everybody wants to be in that space. Yeah, they're like, uh, take, take my money and shut up, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was like, like uh, <laughs> uh, that, that's, at least like, you know, in 2014, that was the, 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 uh, the atmosphere. Um, but the interesting thing about Shlomo, so Shlomo, I think like I f we forwarded our uh, one pager to him once. He didn't, I don't know, he didn't get it or he didn't reply. And then we found a different contact uh, who was working in Imperva and we asked him to forward it again. Actually, my best friend, uh, he asked him. And then Shlomo replied. And the process was so quick because both Shlomo and Miki and Rakesh, they knew the space so well that it sort of was sort of intuitive for them. Uh, why this is necessary and why we can build it and you know how the solution will I, I mean they, they, I wouldn't say that they invested in the solution they probably were invested in the team uh, yeah. and the space and the market but it was a very easy process with them yeah I would like to say that that good investors are more likely to invest in the jockey not the horse better have a great team with a good idea than a great idea with a terrible team so how much did you raise originally, your first round? So first round was about 2.8 million. And then you, altogether you raised 11. Yeah, and then we raised from Index Ventures. Just uh, Index? Just Index, yeah. And, and why Index? Um, I don't know, they were, I mean, they're, they're considered to be a very good fund. They yeah. were, the, I think, the biggest European uh, investors. And um, we met, actually we got, we, we got funded from their US office, uh, they were, they were they were invested in a company called Lookout that uh, was doing what we were doing in the consumer space. So they had some conviction on the space uh, that uh, they thought it would be interesting. And uh, yeah, they were, you know, uh, we, we had another offer back then, but uh, we liked Index more. You did. Yeah. And when they became your investors, they were active? They were active, but uh, they were not... Yeah, I mean, Shardul, who was my board member, he was a very supportive uh, board member, and we worked uh, very closely together. But uh, as you can appreciate, when you raise money from someone like uh, Mickey and Shlomo, uh, the their understanding of their of the space uh, goes well beyond what probably most of the most of the non-specialized VCs can bring to the table. I mean, there are specialized, nowadays there are very good specialized VCs sure. in the cybersecurity space or AI space, uh, which are effectively similar to what Shlomo and Mickey were. Uh, but I think that uh, specialized VCs, they, they can bring you like, in, at least the, the initial phases, more value than a general VC. Right. But general VCs can clearly put like a much bigger check. Right, yeah. so, you, so you chose really quality of the value added um, over necessarily somebody who could write, you know, a huge check, which may or may not be a good thing for a young company to take, take, you know, a huge amount of money because it get diluted ultimately. Yeah, let's put this like you know again. Let's put it like in the, in the context. We were super lucky that uh, <laughs> that uh, Shlomo and Vicky thought it's a good idea to invest in us uh, and, and Rakesh, and uh, and that's that's it. You know, that's that's I think like you know the bottom of it. <laughs> let's talk about um, 
when you decided to sell or did you not decide to sell? T tell me about, was it, you know, did you decide, okay, this is, this is a t good time to flip it or, or were you approached unsolicited? So we were approached by Checkpoint before uh, okay. and uh, initially, and uh, in, you know, I'll sort of tell like, you know, what I can tell. Uh, and initially they were, they were quite interested. They, te they tested the software. Uh, we were talking about partnership uh, and then they basically switched the conversation into, uh, okay, let's figure out if we can make it strategic. You know, that's always like a word when it's being said, you understand. You initially, I didn't understand what it means, you know, like first time that they, that the, alone the VP of Corp Dev for Checkpoint told me, Michael, uh, we want to think about it like in a more strategic way. I'm like, what do you mean strategic? Why are we talking <laughs> about partnership? I'm like, strategic, you know? <laughs> like, what do you want? Uh, so strategic investors. That's a very popular term today. Yeah, but yeah, but right. like what he was working with, like whatever that means. Yeah, yeah whatever <laughs> that means. Um, but he was clearly talking about M and A. Um, initially, like initially, we couldn't understand. Uh, we couldn't figure out the the price range, right? Because uh, as I said, like we grew up in our revenue very quickly uh, at, th at that specific stage. So I guess like you know to to pay that amount for a company that generates one hundred k. That's like crazy, right? <laughs> um, and they always ask. Yeah, can't hurt to ask for that kind of money. No, I asked. And that's the problem. Like, you yeah. know, the, the wasn't the, it wasn't appreciated that I asked. You, uh, by the way, you you negotiated yourself, or did you have a banker or a we, representative we, with you? Yeah, so we initially negotiated ourselves. Eventually, we also brought a banker okay. uh, to Why? help us. Uh, there were. I would say two reasons. Uh, one was specifically that we thought that might be like, you know, we can uh, improve the offer. Okay. And the second is that because it was the first time that we were doing an M&A, uh, at least like on our end, it, it was considered to be better that you will have someone who can structure it, you know, okay. uh, to, to walk you through the process. In retro retrospective, I think that specifically for our, our deal, it wasn't uh, um, that sort of, impactful uh, on the deal itself but i know that bankers did help like you know many other companies which which was actually like you know getting it through okay so did they actually go on and and like and like shop you or it was just primarily yeah something? yeah they tried to shop you um um i mean for us it was sort of early days so uh, there was no other concrete offer on the table uh, okay. so that that didn't really improve the the price and um and then that, that puts you at a very uh, a disadvantage, right? You, you shop a company, nobody really wants to buy it. And well, they, they shop it in, in a discreet way. Okay. Ah, right, yeah, okay. That's, so, that's so, like, so, yeah, so, that's so why now you got to have a good banker who's a good yeah, poker face. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's why, that's why, like, you know, you take a banker, right? You don't, like, put a billboard, you know? Right, uh, of course, yeah. okay. Or you put it on Craigslist. Uh, right. um, so... So yeah, the the ba I mean the bankers were I I mean the bankers were very very helpful uh, in terms of I think like the, the acquisition process is is very tough right for for the management team for the CEO for both like you know you you, you need to continue focus you need to continue focus on, on running the company and in parallel you need to um, get the this sort of like you know acquisition through which right, is a very process, yeah, process, yeah yeah the process which is a very distracting thing and. Uh, and uh, from they almost like you know they're both are like your, your your guidance. They are your psychologists <laughs> simultaneously. Right. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it. Why did you decide to sell? So f in our case, the market was somewhat early. Okay. okay. The, the the interesting thing is that I would say like you know two years later it actually I mean we sort of like were 
probably two or three years ahead of uh, the market maturing. And um, we basically had two options. One, to raise more capital and uh, to be in this uncertainty if the market will turn uh, at, su- at some point. But clearly, you cannot predict the market, right? It's right. early, it's early. You don't know if it's going to turn in two years or it's going to turn, turn in 10 years. Okay. Um, and Checkpoint came with an offer that was I guess again, you know, uh, was you know we've done well, the investors done well, um, and we thought that it's the basically the right decision. Looking back on on your on your whole experience, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that I that again I'm trying to you know for our listeners to to learn from your experiences. What was the greatest challenge that you faced in your Lacoon experience building Lacoon Mobile Security? What, what was the greatest single challenge that, that, that you had looking back? I think the greatest challenge was basically to learn all that. So okay. I, I was an engineer and I had to learn how to be a CEO. I had to learn how to be a marketer. I had to, be, to learn how to run sales. Uh, I had to, even like, you know, as an engineer, I was responsible, like at the peak, I was responsible on a team of, I don't know, six or seven people. Suddenly we, I had like 30 people or 40 people in the company. Um, so really the challenge is how quickly you learn. The second challenge, uh, which is, I think is a huge challenge for like first time entrepreneur, entrepreneurs is, um, how much energy you need to invest in every stage, right? Cause b- basically because you don't know, uh, what you need to invest in, what, what, what is going to be the outcome of the results and you don't know where to focus. You just working like 200, 250 percent uh, of what you really need to uh, to work right right and that's really that's like really stressful uh wastes a lot of your energy uh create like your uh work-life balance is there is no life <laughs> literally <laughs> yeah <laughs> looking back at, at israel which is you know the startup nation um there are a lot of people who who would like it to be called the ramp-up nation because you know Israeli companies are, are being built, startups are being launched, and, and in many cases, early exits. Do you, think, do you think Israel should, or Israeli entrepreneurs should, in general, wait longer to be acquired, build it longer? Or do you think that you know, the way they've been doing it until now, which is start a company, you know, build it to, to the earliest possible point of when you can basically get a really good exit, you know, what, what, what's your perspective on that? I think that there is no good answer about it. I've been, I mean, I'm familiar with this criticism. I've heard it also many times about myself and others, and uh, and you know people have different opinions about it. I, I don't think that there, like every company, even like U.S. companies and other companies, uh, they um, sometimes you need to sell fast, or some sometimes you need to wait. I don't think there is a single answer. I think for Israeli companies, clearly the fact that uh, the Israeli market is very small, so you never sell into the Israeli market, and you always need to sort of cross the ocean and go to the either United States or Asia. I think now Asia become becoming interesting also for companies in Israel. Uh, that's always a challenge, and that also also always like you know sort of creating this chasm, you know, in between. Uh, that uh, I think U.S. startups they don't have it, uh, but but I don't think you know. I, I'm I'm not sure that this criticism is justified. Okay. Looking back again, who is your most trusted advisor? So the, 
the professional who would be your my wife your, your wife okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> more often than not they're they're right yeah, we've, exactly. we've learned they're that all, our wives are always, always right yeah always right yeah um aside from your wife um lawyer banker um investor is there who would you attribute uh, yeah i think that uh, the most i don't know if if it's uh, exactly advisors, but I would say like mentors and the people that supported me the most are probably Mickey Bodei and Rakesh Lankar. Okay. They, they were, uh, first of all, they were my, uh, my investors, but also they are amazing entrepreneurs that uh, they sort of like, you know, spend a lot of time with me and uh, coached me and uh, they were there when I, uh, when it was hard. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. So for future entrepreneurs, um, who are who are listening to this from around the world? Uh, what's the most significant, you know, lesson or advice you can give a young entrepreneur in building their business? At the end of the day, you just need to talk about your idea with as many people as you can and get their feedback. Uh, that's probably the most important advice that uh, you can have. A lot of people they sort of starting to work on things. They 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 sort of maintain secrecy, you know. Right. Uh, and uh, they don't really get feedback and this feedback is critical it's critical in the beginning it's critical uh, uh, through this sort of iterations and it's I guess it's it's critical it's continuously critical to get it as you grow the business as well right again going back to the humility you know ask questions speak to speak to smart people and not feel like you know you know all the answers First of all, like all the answers are outside of the building, right? So you don't know any, like <laughs> you, you, you literally have like, you know, zero answers. You right. know, even sometimes you think you have the answers, but you don't. Yeah. Thank you very much. This is great. This is really fascinating. Um, I know now, now you're, you're in New York City with your family. Remind me, um, children, how many, uh, how many do you have? Two. Two, how old? Uh, four and uh, four and a half and three. Four and a half or three, yeah. and they're adjusting to American life. Yeah, you know, they always they, they already talk English like better than me, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with or without a Russian accent. <laughs> uh, with an Israeli accent, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Thank you very much, Michael. Really appreciate it, and uh, good luck to you in your new venture. I'm, I'm looking forward to having you back on the show, so that when we hear about your new venture and the successes and failures, uh, we'll be able to bring our listeners up to date on that one. Sounds so, good. Thank you very much. Thanks, Igor. My pleasure. Bye. You've been listening to Startup Stories from the Startup Nation. I'm the host, Yigal Marcus. The associate producers are Moshe Raps and Avi Maklis, and the senior research analyst is Libor Levin. If you have a startup story from Israel that you want to share with us that we will air, please email us at startupstoriesisrael at gmail.com. That's startupstoriesisrael at gmail.com. Until next time, thank you for listening.